Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Good morning, Alison. Good afternoon, Andrea. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm super stoked to be talking to you. Yeah. Um, it's so it's so funny when when so for anybody listening, Alison and I get on you know Zoom so we can chat for a minute before we start recording. And I always wish that we had hit record right when we got on mm. because there's always something good that happens. So I'm just excited that we. We hit record right away. We're not going to miss any of our fun catch-up conversation. Uh, this will be good. So welcome, everybody. And I want to say a huge welcome to our newest Patreon member, which is Ellie. All of you know Ellie already from Ellie's amazing, amazing interview she did with us all about sourdough. So she has an incredible YouTube channel called Ellie's Everyday and she teaches how to do sourdough and soap making. And I don't know if you guys have already gotten a chance to check it out, but if you didn't, I'll definitely link it in the show notes and I definitely think you will love it because Allison, do, do you feel the same that Ellie just breaks things down to their really simplest components? She's just, she's got such makes clarity. makes it approachable for everyone. You know, she's got such clarity and she's, a, yeah. she's not into yeah. fussing and having everything perfect. She's mm-hmm. about actually mm-hmm. making it real so you can do it every day. And that is the yes. most important thing. And you know, they say that's the sign of a good leader is somebody who can take the complicated and make it simple. I always have my eye out for people who are capable of doing that because it is it is a gift. And I think Ellie does that. One of the things I love about the way she does the soap and the sourdough both is she teaches you, this is the way I like to do things. She teaches you the principle of why it works so that you can adjust it to whatever's local to you. Yeah. Not here's the exact recipe you must follow every time. She goes, hey, here's a ratio that works really well and here's why. And you're just like, oh, that's so simple. I, I know I could do that with lard right here. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I have a lot of tallow and I can do that. So um, yeah, definitely check her out, you guys. She's amazing. And she also, she's very generous. She recorded a special interview with Allison yeah. for our Patreon feed all about soap making. So if you are a patron of the podcast, then you can go into your private podcast feed and you'll see a whole bunch of episodes that Allison and I have uploaded, some cool interviews, and Ellie's is on there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Allison, so much good stuff happening today. We're going to talk all about parabiotics and (laughs) postbiotics and prebiotics and then of course the most famous one, probiotics. That gets all the the jazz, the probiotics. Of course... (laughs) <laughs> of course, we have to start with, you know, food. Mm. So I want to know what you had for lunch. We had cow's heart. It's really becoming a staple in our house mm. in that yeah. um, That's a good we, lunch. Buy, we buy a cow's heart whole and we get it home from um, our farmer, which we did on Saturday. We picked up the meat on Saturday uh-huh. and then I just wash it and put it straight in the slow cooker and it cooks all the rest of Saturday and then... Sunday morning and then we just get it out and have it for Sunday lunch and then it keeps really well so I chop up what's left and I usually put about a third of what's left in the freezer because it freezes really well the other bit I just put in the fridge and then I just take it out for lunch for like four or five days nice so we had 
heart nice. and um, salad, which was local lettuce and local carrot. Um, some bread. We had two different breads today. We had um, one spelt bread with a porridge, which I'd mixed into it, and one um, 100% rye sourdough. So two different breads. The end of the lard. Huh. We've been waiting. Our farmer took a holiday over August, and so we couldn't get any back right. fat. And finally, we got some more back fat on Saturday. So there's lard actually <laughs> in the slow cooker upstairs as, as we're speaking now. Um, so we got the end of the lard, added some olive oil on the plate to, to bulk up the fat because it wasn't quite enough mm. lard, and sauerkraut and fermented yeah. garlic. Really tasty and delicious. Now, you said that everybody takes the holiday in Italy over mm. August because it's so hot, mm. right? Were we recording when you told me that? Or was that just when we had I a phone conversation? I think it was when we had a phone conversation. Or maybe it was the uh, kitchen table Yeah, because I was asking I you. I can't remember. Oh, maybe. Oh, maybe. <laughs> it's all running together. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, okay, I have a kind of funny question mm. that isn't, what did you just eat? But it's actually... Before we got on this morning when I was messaging you and you said, oh, I'm, the boys are going to make dinner while mm. we're recording. What are they making? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, so I try doing. to make it easy for them. Whenever I um, yeah. ask Rob to do supper, which usually supper he does, um, because generally, uh -huh. I mean, he works at home. So usually he works in the morning and I'm with Gabriel okay. and I'm preparing dinner as part of that. Sometimes Gabriel helps. Uh -huh. And then in the afternoon, generally I have time to do a few things for Ancestral Kitchen and Gabriel and Rob right. spend time together. So today, because I'm recording, I'm probably not gonna be finished until it's almost dinner time. And we try to keep our um, evening meal as early as we can, because it just means we sleep better and uh -huh. we feel better. We wanna have it digested before we go to sleep. Yeah. So there's um, yeah. a, a lectin-free sourdough millet and sorghum bread that I cooked yesterday upstairs, which Rob needs to chop. Mm. And we've got some beans. Um, he's gonna chop well, slice you know it's quite hard oh, oh, okay. it's quite hard so my fans I say chop <laughs> on a good day it's sliced <laughs> and, um, all right then um, yeah we've got some split peas which were cooked in heart stock which was oh, in the freezer so yum. Rob's gonna have those I fancy an egg tonight and Gable we did we've started to try him on beans but we've stepped back a bit from that um, because it didn't go particularly well. So there's some leftover heart for him tonight as well. And then we've got uh -huh. some cabbage with it. So that's tonight, after I finish talking okay. with you. That sounds so good. It's lovely. I really enjoy it. That sounds very satisfying and just filling. Yeah, yeah. And peas is a really, that's a really British thing, isn't it? Uh, isn't I think there's a traditional like, dish called um, peas pudding in Britain, which... Um, yeah. Yeah. which was made with, with green split peas like that. Um, I don't think anyone makes it much these okay. days. Please, if you're British and you make it, please prove me wrong. Yeah. Um, but um, there are a lot of split peas grown, I can't even say the word, split peas grown in Italy. And we like to try and get as local um, okay. pulses as we can. And also the split peas that we buy don't have the um, shells on. So a lot of the other pulses that are sold here oh, aren't yeah. um, shelled and generally it's harder to digest the outside so we tend to buy split mm -hmm. peas and um lentils red lentils that have been deshelled yeah. um, and use those takes a lot 
longer processing to get all that I did it once fiber I did oh I, I, I did chickpeas once I, I followed the instructions in nourishing traditions oh. to take the husks off chickpeas once and I'll never do it again <laughs> just banging uh, no, it on it the table it's with things tedious. and it was awful so I just tried to find you know that. I did mm. I, I feel like we talked about the instant pot before I always said I like I, I have one and I, I used it at their other house but I don't use it so much out here just because of the power mm. but um I did do chickpeas in that and I was kind of following this instructions I saw online for shelling them mm. and it was really easy because in the instant pot it cooked them such a way that I kind of just rinsed them I wasn't even planning to try and shell them but the shells oh, just started okay, floating okay. off so I was like hey this is great it was pretty easy so if somebody really needs to you know for your health reasons and you have an instant pot or access to one it's a great way or to it's do something it. you can just fill um, hours well, with if you if you don't want to i did it once with um baked yeah. i made some baked beans i remember in penzance and i just sat there and talked mm, to gable mm-hmm, for like mm-hmm. two hours while i took all the shells off yeah well that's kind of the times i've ended up shelling my beans like that or, or whatever that's called mm. um is when i've sort of just needed like a tedious quiet yeah. action yeah. to do um and it's it's actually very calming yeah exactly it's meditative do. so if you have a kid that enjoys sort of sensory play mm. just have them play with the beans long enough and they'll yeah, separate all of them I agree what, um what did okay, you have so breakfast? i had breakfast yeah, this morning <laughs> yeah actually i made gary's breakfast first so we had similar but slightly different mm because we have slightly different preferences. So I made him pancakes and then I rolled them with um, peach butter mm. from some of the peaches we did mm-hmm. this summer. And then I cooked some of the salt sausage, which is, if anybody listened to the Farmstead Meatsmith mm. podcast, they have their sausage episodes are really, really good. And they talk about processing sausage and I followed their recipe, if you will, their measurements for weight by weight for making salt sausage and we ground in all the organs and we actually ground in the organs of other people's pigs too because um when our friends butchered nobody else wanted the organs so we got all of them which is awesome so we ground in um organs and kidneys and i mean organs and um kidneys and hearts and livers Mm -hmm. so it's sausage and back fat um and all the organs and then salt that's it so good and then i made him a couple of fried eggs Mm -hmm and um the, and he just drinks black coffee and then for myself i made um i had some of the leftover coffee and i put in just raw cream mm-hmm. that's another handy tool i was thinking of allison mm-hmm. was i have because you ju- we just posted the yeah. tools episode live um thank you colleen for making the notes on the show notes on that and i i don't remember if i said this or not but i have some really small ladles that are awesome mm. They fit into the wide mouth jars, and so ah. I can ladle out cream, and it works so well. Like we separate it so, I'd like so well. I like that because I have to tip um, my jars so in order to to get something out. Exactly, because a spoon just comes out with like exactly. nothing if you don't tip it. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. Um, they're just like a ladle that I don't know how to explain it other than the handle goes straight down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, what I, I mean? Imagine. Like it's not really tilted, um, and. Uh oh! I was gonna say I used to use a turkey baster, but then my turkey baster broke, yeah. so I didn't have a turkey baster anymore, and I haven't replaced it. Mm. So then I've just turned into using a ladle. Nice. And you can use the ladle to baste the turkey too, so <laughs> <laughs> it kind of works. 
and it's easier and faster. And then I didn't make sausage for myself. I made bacon mm. and this was not our own bacon because we've either reached the end of it or I can't find the last package of it, one or the other. So this was a store-bought package of bacon mm. and some eggs and then um, some of the same pancakes, which are just like a overnight soak buttermilk. And did you add anything else apart uh, from the flour and the buttermilk to the pancakes? Oh, um, I put butter on them. Okay. I think I've been starting to... I've always been a person who likes my pancakes very sweet, like with syrup. Mm. And I don't know if you've been getting in my head, Allison, but yeah, I've I'm been starting to like to them savory. more savory. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're kind of starting to infect me from across the ocean mm. a little bit. Um, and so I did put a little bit of syrup on one of them, but I've just been um, kind of wanting them salty and... So literally just butter and salt you've been putting on them? Uh, just salted butter. Uh, so salted butter. I don't have to put salt Yeah, of course we don't have that here in Italy. Yeah. So. so the pancake was just oh, flour right. and buttermilk that. and then you're topping it after you fried it with butter, salted butter. Oh, um, yeah, it's it's got um, eggs. Oh, it's got eggs in it as well. So. See, because our pancakes don't. I just yeah. make one with flour and yeah. liquid. Yeah, I... That's why I ferment it in the fridge mm, for like... That makes sense. Well, it usually goes in there for like two days, so... Makes sense. It sounds lovely. Really delicious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know oh. why I didn't add any sourdough starter to it. Now that I'm thinking about it, I should have added You know, before it. I started making sourdough, there was a time before I made sourdough. And um, I used to ferment breads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to ferment breads all the time and ferment pancakes all the time before I even started making sourdough, before I had a starter in the mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. And I just used to do it wild ferment. And I'd just leave it on the side yeah. and make yeah. sure I stir it a couple of times a day. So it doesn't, you know, collect on the top and the surface. And I, we used to have right. our breads and our pancakes like that. So you don't actually need a sourdough starter. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's slower because mm. it goes in the yeah. fridge. Well, it's definitely slower because yeah. it's in the fridge. But because I add the eggs, I don't want to leave no, it on the counter. I understand that. Um, and now it, it stays in there for a couple of days usually because mm. I just make like a big batch and let it sit in jars. And um, is this your einkorn flour? So... No, this is a flour from Azure. It's a like a pancake. Oh, you told me about that, that before. Um, yeah, yeah. I was I was talking to Colleen yesterday actually because she and her um, family camped up at the glamping tent last mm -hmm. night, and because I didn't know don't know if you know that Colleen's a photographer, and so she was taking pictures of ah, the tent I for see. us. And um, she she and I were talking about like buying pre-made mixes of things sometimes if you can find a good like the store and the brand and the ingredients all that you support i am all in favor of just sometimes offloading that <laughs> that tiny little action of mixing two things three things mm -hmm. together sometimes is just easier um yeah we've talked to before about you know what what is the right thing for you to kind of contract out to someone and for yeah. for one family for one mum it's yeah. one thing and for one person it's another thing yeah and i think it's worth saying and, and i i think it'll come up in conversation today when we talk about pro probiotic foods but um i don't want anybody to ever think that i always do all the things all the time <laughs> there's different seasons where i have to offload certain projects like kombucha hello yeah. i love making kombucha we did a whole episode about mm. it I've been buying kombucha for the last few mm. weeks. Why? Because we're in this insane crunch building this camping experience for people. 
and then also trying to eat food and then also processing food like mad because everything's like ripe right now and so there's just a few things that had to be outsourced and there's times and seasons for that so um sometimes somebody will say something to me like oh yeah sorry i bought my kefir at the store and i'm like i'm not judging Mm -hmm. you like far be it from me who knows when i'm gonna have to buy something from the store like don't i don't want anybody to feel like they have to justify themselves to me or explain why they did something and also i'd much prefer someone bought their kefir at a store rather than buy a packet of frozen chips at a store yeah so you know and then that person is might be at home sewing their own clothes and i would i there's if i sew my own clothes people don't want me in public <laughs> like <laughs> it would not be decent so you know everybody's yeah. got their thing and i just don't want people to feel i sometimes feel like people have to apologize to me and i'm like don't don't mm. it's not like that yeah neither of us are all perfect. right allison so yes today let's talk about so this. today's topic is pre pro Parapro and postbiotics, which is quite a mouthful. I had to say that quite slowly. And hopefully we're going to be able to cover all four of them and particularly talk about how they're alive in our worlds, you know, how we um yes. how we imbibe them and, and our particular views on them. Yep. So shall I shall I start or do you want to? Why don't you lead us off and I will just okay. try to keep up with you. <laughs> okay so <laughs> let's usual. let's start with the pre so we'll cover all four of them and and talk about what they are and then kind of go off on a tangent like we usually do so what are prebiotics <laughs> right. so prebiotics are compounds that are used by probiotics inside us so they're basically the food for probiotics and when these probiotics eat the prebiotics or process the prebiotics inside of us the gut um fatty acids are released into the body and the body can use them you know not just in the gut in all the organs of the body and other parts of the body and i think probably some of the most famous examples of prebiotics are the um, allium family so garlic onions and leeks Mm -hmm. they are in various greens quite a lot of forage greens barley oats and hey hey cacao <laughs> cacao's got prebiotics in yes. jerusalem artichokes yeah and then um pulses um are i think are a particular type of prebiotics in that they're called resistant starch and i remember when yes. i first learned about resistant starches learning about how you know you could leave rice in the fridge and it cooled down and if you ate it cool then it became a resistant mm-hmm. starch and resistant yeah. starch basically just means the starch is resistant to digestion and that starch will pass through into your lower intestine undigested so that the good bacteria that live down there specifically can feed on them so regarding kind of i think with prebiotics if you eat a wide variety of foods then you're going to get a lot of prebiotics in your diet um personally we eat garlic and onions almost every day in this house so we get a lot from garlic and onions we eat greens we have cacao we have oats we have barley we have pulses sometimes so i think as long as you're eating from a a wide variety of food groups including the alliums then you're going to get a fair lot of prebiotics in your diet would you be in agreement with that andrea yes and i think this is another reason why like sometimes people get a little bit overwhelmed i think if 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 you if they only hear nutrient components and it's in this and that food and to just remind people if you're eating a pretty 
you know, mm. diverse and wild and foraged and local diet, you're probably getting what you need. Mm. Exactly. It's when we just eat the same boxed meal over and over that, um, the same, you know, just processed white flour foods day in and day out. That yeah. We don't get this. And I remember, um, when we were just contemplating starting the GAPS diet, which was quite a long time ago, and trying to work um, at a more uh-huh. um, base level with Gabriel's digestion problems, because we've moved on somewhat since then, thank goodness, through the work we've done. I remember reading and researching the FODMAPS diet, and it's a kind of clear example of prebiotics, because in FODMAPS, you can't eat a lot of those products, so you don't eat onions and you don't eat leeks. Um, because of the types of sugars that are in those um, foods. And I remember listening to Chris Cresser on his podcast, Revolution Health Radio, who is a functional medicine practitioner and and very good at what he does, and hearing that him saying, you know, FODMAPS isn't a long-term solution because it cuts out so many of the foods that are prebiotics. And you can, um, Mm -hmm. if you don't have those for a sustained amount of time, then your probiotic colony aren't going to do as well. And so that's a kind of a clear example of, you know, if you're eating a normal diet, you would get them all the time. If you choose to eat a diet that excludes those, you have to be careful to um, attempt to not stay on it for too long because they are an important part of um, nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. And that is also why you'll definitely see when... um, people talk about gaps and things like that it's all you're always reminded this is a short-term sort of a therapy in a Mm. way um that should uh you know ideally heal maybe an existing problem Mm. um not a way of living they don't feel like short-term when you're in the middle of not a version of yeah yeah and it can you can turn it into like an orthorexia kind of a situation if you just like obsessively persist in that um so that's just something yeah so your um prebiotics i'm assuming because you're eating kind of all different types of foods all the time you're getting uh, prebiotics from all over yeah yes and i i think the rice it doesn't actually have to be cold i Ah, think it really has to come up like 110 or something like that I, I remember reading about the exact temp it has to come down to, but I thought you also had to cook it with a fat. Oh, it's um, been a long time since I've done that research, you see. To convert it into a resistant starch. I thought you had to throw like a tablespoon of ghee or coconut oil or something. Oh. I could be totally maybe, wrong. Maybe we'll Google that um, before we do the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a good idea. Um, yep. So do you want... Um, I brought down... Mm. If anybody has the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care, that book, uh, it has a little bit of a misleading name, but uh, because there's a lot of really good information in it that applies to everybody. There's a ton of information in this book about how the gut works because she's trying to give you a a description of how your baby's gut works Mm. so that you know how to... Um, feed them Mm. and so I would say if somebody wants a really good understanding or just not not like an overly in-depth obsessive scientific description of the gut but just a really good clear and simple one grab that book actually go to the allergy chapter chapter 15 and she has a pretty good description about bacteria in there and how it works in our gut 
Um, I've highlighted and marked so much in there um, that if somebody's listening, you know, and they, they want to know the big picture, that's a great place to go. Is there things that you want to um, read from there now or later or is it just... Um, I'll, I'll read a little bit as we okay. go, but we'll, let's, let's keep okay. going and then I'll just... So let's move to probiotics then. I yeah. actually looked up a definition of probiotic before probiotics before we um, came on this call because <laughs> yes. um, I know that um, from various newsletters and things I'm on that people who do labelling for probiotic products have to be very careful about what they say. Um, and the definition yeah. that I came up with was live microorganisms which when administered in adequate amounts confer a health benefit on the host. So um, that basically means, in, in my book, they're beneficial bacteria bacteria that are good for us and the way i see them is they're produced outside of us through a process fermentation and then they go to work inside us or they help other bacteria go to work inside our intestines and they don't necessarily stay in there we can build colonies of them but a lot of them just pass through and when we imbibe beneficial bacteria probiotics they enhance our digestion the foods are already easy to digest because of the action of the probiotic when it's been fermenting. But it gives us the um, bacteria that we need to help our digestion. And the fermentation also increases vitamins in the um, product that we're eating as well. So it's kind of like a triple whammy there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there are tons of foods and drinks with probiotics. And I think most of the people who are listening to this probably have you know three at least three or four of them or one or two of them in their um in their daily life um i did make a list of the ones that that i can think of and the ones that we use in this house so i just roll through that if you like yeah okay so we've got kefir <laughs> um kefir kefir um and water and milk kefir and I know from researching that there is a really quite a big difference between the yeasts and bacteria in water kefir and the yeasts and bacteria in milk kefir, in that milk kefir has many more yeasts and bacteria in it than water kefir. Not to say that water kefir isn't brilliant for you, because it is, but milk kefir is a lot stronger. Right. There's yogurt, which is, um, again, in, in probiotic terms, not as strong as um, dairy milk kefir. Sauerkraut... And I remember reading on that one, actually not long ago, a few months ago, that your sauerkraut doesn't have to be old to have more um, probiotics in it. So you don't have to necessarily think, oh, if I leave it for a year, it's going to age and it's going to have a trillion billion probiotics in it. It doesn't necessarily work like that. You can leave it and it will change, but you don't have to be eating sauerkraut that you made a year ago. It doesn't matter if you made it you know, a few weeks ago, you're still going to have a good colony of probiotics in it. There's other veg yeah. ferments, you know, there's carrot and ginger, kimchi, all the other veg ferments. There's whey. And then um, ginger beer, which I've been making recently. Kvass, which there's a beet kvass. And there's also the bread kvass, the two different traditions. And then from my perspective, we make um, boza, the millet probiotic drink that um, comes from Turkey originally. And I make my oat fermentation, suens and swats, which anyone who follows my Instagram has seen. That's full of probiotics. And then I also do a fermented coconut water for Gabriel because he's not so hot with dairy. Um, and I have fermented nut milks in the past. There's kombucha, like you were talking about. There's miso. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Fermented garlic. 
I had some for lunch. Some of yeah, that. sausages. Yeah, salumi. Sausages, yeah, prosciutto. exactly. Um, and prosciutto. Yeah. Lots of gravlax. Yeah, exactly. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Sour cream. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing how many. Actually, I'm going to read the um, what is a lacto fermented food ah, okay. out of this Thank book you. because that will give people a good idea. Um, because this is actually a question. Um, I had some amazing gals over the other day, and they're in a recovery program, um, and they said, "Wait, can we have fermented foods? You know, mm. is this alcoholic?" And I said, "You know what? That's such mm. a good question to ask because." All we hear is, you know, oh, people fermenting, you know, alcohol. So, um, lacto-fermentation, this is directly from the Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. It's on page 26 in chapter one, Preparing for Your Baby. I mean, this book is so comprehensive, it's crazy. But lacto-fermentation is a process that preserves foods, including vegetables, fruits, milk, meat, and fish. The process involves bacteria working primarily on sugars and starches to produce lactic acid, a natural preservative. Alcoholic fermentation involves mm. yeast working on sugars to produce alcohol, which is also a preservative. So it's worth noting here, um, this is not in the book, I'm just saying this, it's worth noting here that it's, they're both called fermentation. Mm. Lacto-fermentation, I think Sandor says this in the Art of Fermentation, is not microbiologically actually technically fermentation mm. um it is different than um an ethanol or alcoholic ferment okay back to the book lacto fermented foods are rich in enzymes lactic acid and good bacteria which together help digestion and now this is what you were saying earlier mm. allison good bacteria in the gut are critical to good health they keep potentially harmful microorganisms like candida in balance. They keep parasites at bay. They strengthen immune systems. They produce more important nutrients. They even produce feel-good chemicals. They coat the intestinal tract with a biofilm that serves as our first line of defense against environmental toxins. The lining on your gut can latch onto mercury and dioxins and take them out of the body. Um, and they provide an important component of our immune system. So then she lists a couple of the most familiar lacto-fermented foods, raw sauerkraut, um, which also I should say for anybody listening who's new to the universe of lacto-fermented foods, the jars of vinegar mm. fermented or vinegar pickled sauerkraut canned jars on the shelf at the store are not raw active sauerkraut you'd have to go to the refrigerated section if you're buying them or just make some at home because it's so easy okay other plant foods can be preserved in this way cucumbers carrots beets turnips onions mm. herbs fruits and then buttermilk yogurt and kefir are lacto fermented they can be made at home with raw milk they're even better for you when they're made at home which is awesome and then other lacto-fermented foods include some traditional salamis and gravlax. And then, of course, there's many fermented beverages that are not alcoholic. Mm. So actually, if somebody is in recovery and they still want to have a nice, you know, maybe a effervescent drink or um, just something just, you know, it's enjoyable to just have something to sip on mm. um, or make something fun at parties. You can make beautiful bottled lacto-fermented drinks that are not alcoholic so that root beer um, that um you nudged yeah. me to make that yep. was in my instagram feed the other week i looked in nourishing traditions and and kind of read about that but i put whey cubes mm -hmm. in it and that 
obviously starts it with yeah. a lacto ferment and I did read that that Sally had written in there this means that you're going to end up with a fermentation that's not as alcoholic so the root beer that I made would have been different that way than if I'd made a root beer without putting a whey ice cube in it and let the yeasts mm-hmm. come into more of their kind of um yeah you could let the yeah yeah I think you could do a ferment with just like sugar yeah. and I did that with my um, strawberry wine so my strawberry wine would know, have been more fruit. alcoholic than mm-hmm. the root mm-hmm. beer I made because I let the sugar just do its work with yeast yeah. and the skins of the strawberry for the strawberry wine but the root beer actually exactly. added whey so that yeah that sugar ferment mm. that you just referred to that's the yeah. ethanol our alcoholic ferment and then when you put the whey in the whey is the yeah. lactic acid and that will dominate and that will ferment rather than just your fruit yeah. Um, so yeah that's a great distinction to make Okay, carry on. So give us, well, give us an example of um, like a day in the life of probiotics for you. Explain to us how how you'd eat them during the day. Oh, okay. Well, it was actually funny. When I made my breakfast this morning after I ate it, I thought, ooh, there's nothing fermented on this. (laughs) (laughs) And it was funny because we're going to talk about this today. But usually we try to throw something fermented in to every meal. And that's, ooh, that's pretty easy to do if you just have it on hand and you don't make it an overwhelming ordeal. Um, Sally Fallon does give some ideas in the Nourishing Traditions book for children, um, ways to work it into your everyday life. But um, you can, uh, like if I just had put a little, like a tablespoon of yogurt Mm -hmm. on top of my pancakes, that would have been sufficient. You know, it doesn't have to be. Like we have this idea in our head that you need to eat a bowl Mm. of yogurt or something. But yogurt is traditionally a dip or like a topping. Um, it's not like its own meal. Um, so I could have put some yogurt on or maybe just drank a little bit of kefir, just a shot of kefir kombucha with the breakfast. That would have been fine. Or water kefir. Um, for lunch, oh my goodness, one of our glampers who came out brought me a jar of cortido. Oh. So that's like a spicy kind of South American yeah. version of, um, I don't know where it originated exactly, but it's like a spicier version of sauerkraut and so i don't care what i'm eating for lunch just a pile of that can go on top so good and she shredded everything so finely and like perfectly i'm like this is so good (laughs) um and i feel like a lot of our beverages are fermented so i guess if you just have a beverage um and then with dinner I'll either like mix sauerkraut in. If your soup is not blazing hot, you can stir in some of the sauerkraut juice. Um, and then your kids aren't like, if your kids are like mine and they won't just eat a bowl of, you know, like a spoonful of sauerkraut, then, um, well, Jacob will, but the girls won't. <laughs> just mix it in. No, nobody needs to know. Um, yeah, I guess that's some ways we get it in over the course of a day. I think that the drinks products. are quite important this side as well. I mean, Gabriel generally yeah. has a drink that's been fermented when he wakes up, first when he comes up um, mm. after the night. And then he has um, water kefir in the morning and water kefir in the afternoon to kind of punctuate the meals. Um, and yeah, You guys go through a lot of water. I do, yeah. And then we have sauerkraut yeah. at every meal and we have fermented garlic at lunch as well. Um, it's interesting, and, and perhaps we can move on to the next thing that I had written down on my list, which is yeah. um, I can't eat a great deal of probiotics. And um, 
I yes. know I'm not the only one and I thought it would be interesting to kind of share um, where I'm at with that um, whilst we're talking about probiotics because yeah. ideally you know I'd have I'd have milk kefir for breakfast <laughs> I'd have water kefir I'd mm. have my ginger beer I'd have some boza I'd have sauerkraut I'd be making lots of other ferments but I can't because probiotics stop me sleeping um, and it's it's something that I probiotics they stop me sleeping if I have too many probiotics oh okay so it's taken me yeah. it took me about three years to come to that conclusion because I for a long time I wasn't consistent in my application of probiotics so I would go you know we'd get goat's milk suddenly and I'd make a load of goat milk kefir and then I'd drink it and it takes usually about 10 days to show up so if I drink goat's milk kefir a glass of goat's milk kefir every day mm. for 10 days by the time you get to the end of the 10 days I cannot sleep I'm I go to sleep all right but I wake up in the night and I can't go back to sleep like for the rest of the night so I only I wow. end up with just having four hours sleep and that went back and forward for about three years with me just being in denial oh I want to have my probiotics I you know this is what I do and it's that lag that yeah that, that it, made it, hard it, to made it hard out. to figure out um and so what I did about five years ago I was like right I've had enough of this I've got to to I want to um build up my um the diversity of flora in my gut and in order for me to be able to do this properly I'm gonna have to do it stupidly slowly so I started with half a gram of sauerkraut a day and I got my little scales out and I measured it and I kept on that for about you know three weeks and then I went up to one gram and slowly 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 for the last five years wow. every single day I have measured how much sauerkraut I have and I have measured how much oh water kefir or what, whatever the equivalent drink is obviously it's very difficult to be exact because when you make ferments at home you don't know how many probiotics right. has got in it but we've got a routine and we right. make things the same way so at the moment I have um, 24 grams of sauerkraut a day and one and a half grams of fermented garlic a day and two um, espresso shots of water kefir or ginger beer a day. <laughs> I've got a little espresso cup that I measure it in. And I have to stick to that because many, many times I've broken it and I just, I end up a wreck because I'm not sleeping. And it's just, it's been such a long well, journey, five years, you know, to get to this point. Yeah. And it's really good, I think, for us all to hear that, not only because of just being inspired by the diligence it takes to figure out what's causing mm. the issues in our life and how interesting that it can be food, even when it's good mm. food, um, but also I, there's just this idea that, like, you'll say, you know, making milk kefir and people go, oh, I, you know, we have four kids, we couldn't afford to do that. It's like, how much do you think you need? Yeah. Like, you don't really yeah. need that much. With a whole family, over the course of a day, you could be using less than one cup a day yeah. and everybody's getting a sufficient dose. And you could be using less than one cup of sauerkraut per day yeah. and everybody's got enough. And you could use less than one cup of kombucha per day. Everybody just needs an ounce, mm. maybe two ounces. And, and that's just... Um, I don't know that it's maybe because stores sell like bottles of the yeah. size that you would drink that people think, oh, we all need one of those every day. I'm like you don't really. It's quite a lot, actually. And for somebody who is introducing probiotics, um, probiotic foods, if you go to page 279 on that book, the 
um, Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care, she actually has a little kind of a schedule for introducing probiotic foods to somebody who's not accustomed to having them. So she says, just for avoiding adverse reactions, introduce them gradually Mm. starting from one to two teaspoons a day. And then after maybe a week, you can move up to three to four teaspoons a day. Like you don't need. A I've always whole said lot. that in any so, classes that I've taught that, you know, if people aren't used yeah. to it, they can have a load of probiotics and say, oh, it just made me really, really ill. Um, but the point is, if you're uh, not used to it, yeah. then it is going to cause some t- reactions in your intestine. So you need to go really slowly. Yeah. And that um, the the bulk of stool is that bacterial lining. Mm. And so if you're like, oh yeah, I just, I've never eaten probiotic foods. And then I ate a quart of sauerkraut and drank eight ounces of kombucha yesterday. And you know, I can't get off the toilet. Like, yeah, no kidding. You know, of course. Um, but <laughs> yeah, start gradually. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> While we're on the kind of um, pharmacological side, I thought we could talk a bit about mm-hmm. tablets versus fermented food, oh, yeah. because obviously probiotic tablets are a huge industry. And I kind of had to think about this because in my time I have taken some probiotic tablets, whereas now we haven't used them in our house for probably four or five years. And I think my take on it at the moment is I really think that the broad range of fermented foods is more beneficial for us over tablets, that people Mm. need different things at different times in their lives. And I, I believe that science is always one step behind reality and historically (laughs) ancestrally people used a wide variety of ferments by trial and error for thousands of years you know and that creates an effect we have not done the studies to um, delve into the depth of that wisdom at all you know if you've had Mm -mm. a test a stool test and you've identified one bacteria that's deficient there, there might be Um, a case there I think for taking a particular strain in a tablet that's something that I did about six years ago I had a stool test and I was deficient in a particular strain and I took the tablets for that particular strain and then afterwards another stool test I had that strain in you know built up in my gut and so I think tablets have a role to play there perhaps but in wider fermented foods are so the way to go and they taste nicer than the tablets i mean they're they were made not just for the for the um for the probiotics because people didn't know about that when they were originally made they were made to preserve the food and they were made and loved for their taste you know salumi tastes amazing yogurt and kefir taste awesome sauerkraut's lovely so they taste nicer they're cheaper they're so much cheaper than the tablets yeah, they'll yeah. have things in they're more accessible more accessible totally because you can yeah. just buy a cabbage and a bit of salt yeah. and you can do it with a yeah. knife that's all you need a knife and a jar Done. <laughs> i also believe that they'll have things in that the tablet won't because when we extract things from plants mm. or um, um foodstuffs mm. and we synthesize them in a lab and separate them we are taking them out of the environment they were created in and so I believe that, you know, having sauerkraut will have, there will be things in that sauerkraut that the tablets won't have. And we get all the benefits from the sauerkraut. Like I said earlier, you know, that there's more vitamins yeah. in released because of fermentation. There's um, the fact that we're eating uh, super digestible food rather than something else that's not digestible. So that saves our digestive energy. Uh-huh. And I think for me, 
ferment for me personally fermentation is is a creative act and i really think with our health mm. science is no substitute for intuition and creativity and fermented foods are a way that we can express that rather than putting our science head on and going and looking for a problem and then finding a in quotes cure for it with a tablet yeah that that's my kind of two cents worth on tablets versus fermented foods do you have anything that differs from me Andrew or anything that um you want to put across well, no, I, I don't think I have anything that mm. differs. I might yeah, add to ahead. it, and I, I definitely agree. I agree with you that I think there is times when, I mean, if you are not eating probiotic foods and your kids are not eating probiotic foods, get started on something. Like, you know what? If that's the thing that is going to get your foot in the door with probiotics, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, don't, like we, ah, there's a reason why, like you're saying, they're so popular right now. It's because people are suddenly realizing that we're going almost a generation and a half now without probiotic foods, fermented yeah. foods at, at all of our meals. And we're paying the price for it because you inherit your mother's biome mm. and the we're, people are literally being born into the world um, with deficient beneficial bacteria mm. and gut flora. And <clears throat> it's a lot. I, I don't know that. I don't really know that we can ever replace what is lost by not having that beneficial biome at birth and having breast mm -hmm. milk and letting the cord blood, you know, completely pump back into the baby mm -hmm. instead of cutting the cord right away. I don't know that we can replace that, but we have to do what we can to fill in the gaps. And I definitely, I would say a lot of the people I see just the standard diet does not you know a bagel for breakfast with coffee which hey there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that but if that's it if that's where it's stopping you know then then there's no probiotics um and then i don't know some kind of a caesar salad for lunch and then processed food for dinner and then like ice cream for dessert where's the probiotics mm. coming in so do not hesitate to start with tablets if that's where you mm. need to start. And if you have a long way to go with healing your gut, do not hesitate to continue with them if you need to do that. And I agree with you, Allison, also that there's some specific strains that can be hard to get. And if you can take those specific ones and then keep feeding yeah. your gut bacteria, um, because <clears throat> something that I don't know is necessarily imparted to us necessarily by the I don't know, this science god that everybody always refers to, is that the foods we eat can actually destroy our beneficial gut bacteria mm. and have it struggle to survive. And Sally Fallon makes the analogy of your bacterial lining and those villi, those little hair-like, you know, um, strands that line the inside of our gastrointestinal tract. She compares this to grass and your gut flora um, so the villi, she says, is like the soil and the gut floor is like the grass. And when it's really healthy with a thick grassy layer, we know everything is working well. And then when the grassy layer is disturbed, which can happen with, you know, unhealthy food, um, never feeding the gut bacteria, taking antibiotics, getting, oh, there's all kinds of injectable therapies that can harm our gut lining, um, then then we have problems 
cracks, you know, she, she compares it to soil erosion and cracks in the soil and, um, what we need to do is start to rebuild that. And it does take time. And it, I think it does hinge on food, you know, like it can hinge entirely on food, but you do need to start where you're at and you need to get what you can get your hands on. I totally agree. Um, and I think I'd, I'd like to second the fact that it, from my experience, it takes time. Yeah. You know, I was, yes, it can I, take a long I inherited my I, mother's bio. I'm like, you know, yes. like all of us did, but then I wasn't breastfed and right. I was overweight right. as a child and I had many, many courses of antibiotics, many, many. And I had a sugar addiction. Yeah. And, you know, to the point where I still can't, I can't eat sugar now. And it has taken oh. me such a long time to get to the point where I am now. And it has required, you know, the, the weighing out of the sauerkraut. And, you know, I'm nowhere near done yet, you right. know. I've, I'm going right. to be doing this for the rest of my life. And I love it. And it's, it's, it's what I do, you know, it's what we do as a family. But... I I think, you know, when we have been brought up in the culture that we have, where antibiotics often, unless our parents have protected us, have been used routinely on us, mm -hmm. um, we, yeah. we need oh to be goodness. patient and understand that it's a work of a yes. lifetime to try, even, I don't know whether we can, like you said, to restore completely, but to try to, right. to um, culture what's inside of us to be more beneficial to us. It's it's long it's long work but and it's, it's a hard thing to say that yeah. you know that i say that i don't know that we can really replace it but um because it's such a sensitive and emotional topic people sometimes even get angry about that mm. but if we want to just return to our idol of science and just say well i mean just look objectively um there's just the way kind of our bodies were meant to be and if we disrupt that with our, you know, our better knowing, you know, and taking nutrients apart and trying to break them down and put them back together into what we think is the perfect thing. Um, and without realizing what we're missing, I, I just don't know that we can fix that. And I, like you said, unless a parent protects you yeah. from it, I know people whose kids take antibiotics literally every year. Yeah. I mean, I had them every I year mean, when I was a kid, more than I, every year. I can remember having them um, when I had my wisdom teeth extracted, which is a whole nother chapter <laughs> that we could talk about. Um, but I remember having antibiotics then. I don't have any distinct memory of ever taking them any other wow. time in my life. I'd have to, I have to ask my mom if I took them when I was a kid for anything, but I don't, I don't know if I did, but, um, see, that's interesting. Cause you could count, you wouldn't, you'd need the, more fingers and toes than, than a human being, possibly than even my family possesses wow. to count the amount of times I had um, antibiotics as a kid. Wow. That's crazy. Mm. Um, well, and among among our, we have three kids, eight, six, and three, and one of them had antibiotics one time for surgery. But other than that, they've never had antibiotics. And what's interesting is, so one of them, they had that antibiotics when they were about mm. two. And I couldn't figure out, it was two years later, and we were, Gary and I kept commenting, this one child, for some reason, seems to be really vulnerable to hmm. like the sniffles mm. and uh, how strange. And this one child also had this like attraction to sugar that the hmm. other kids, I mean, every kid likes mm. sweetness, you know, um, but just more so than the others. And, and then if the kids were all to get a sniffles, say, 
this one kid would have it longer mm-hmm. than everybody else. And I was like, I can't figure it out. And so I started trying to piece back together. What is different with this child? And I lit upon it. I was like, the only thing they've done different from the siblings is they had one round okay. of antibiotics. Like two years yeah. ago at that time. And <laughs> it's been four years now. And I feel like we're still trying yeah. to replace it and heal it. And I don't think people realize one round of antibiotics can take seven years yeah, for your gut to I heal I completely from. agree with that. And if you're taking them every single yeah. year or more, I mean, when Jacob, our oldest, had to have a really, really minor surgery and the doctor actually gave us the option, he said, you don't really have to do the antibiotics. We can do, you know, other things instead. And so we ended up working with some essential oils and colloidal silver mm-hmm. instead of the antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And... um. When he gave us that option, I was really excited about, you know, that he was, I mean, it was kind of what I would have wanted to do anyways, but I was also glad that he was on board with it. And, um, I remember thinking if, if, if Jacob has this round of antibiotics, I'll be still working to heal his gut by the time he's learning how to drive from this, you know, (laughs) I just couldn't fathom that. I think it's amazing. It's like, yeah, if you need antibiotics, they... Yes, they can save a yeah. life. I will never deny yeah. that. But I will also say it's like a last ditch. We, we do not take it seriously enough how severe of an impact that I has. I think it, it, what, what I notice from the community around me is a lot of people pay, pay lip service to, oh, yeah, antibiotics are only for emergencies. And yet they still take them when it's not an emergency. Um, and that, that right. behavior obviously I is not tell a behavior you. that is going to help us with antibiotic resistance in the world no um, no the lengths that we will go to to mm. avoid it um, you have to be quite serious and and it's kind of like we talked about in our last kitchen table chat where we talked about what do you do when somebody gets yeah. sick and how you were saying that the vigilance that's required yeah. and the hands-on kind of care if you're not doing antibiotics you're like vigilant and hands-on yeah. I mean, on a five to 15 to 30 minute basis. And I just don't know that, um, that that's recognized or accepted. Well, I think we've lost the wisdom that was around it to enable people to feel confident to be able to do that on a basis. And yeah, most people have never seen that. They've never observed that in their life. It feels really, you know, when I look back on my childhood and I think about the amount of times I had antibiotics, it just sometimes my head just kind of troops because I think about the mountain that I'm climbing now and and I look at Gabriel you know he's had antibiotics once and that was when Mm -hmm. yeah he was a year and a half year old and he had emergency bowel surgery and so it saved his life you know the surgery and and he had antibiotics then but it has been an incredible journey that's the exact scenario to try to that's the exact scenario he was going to die because it was literally like there was no, you're not fixing what was happening there was like mechanical, yeah. right? There's no dietary fix for that. It had to be yeah. moved. And if you haven't heard that story, Allison shared it in the last Patreon talk, the kitchen mm, table chat. Hard. Um, but I know it's, it's a good story though. Mm. And it's a really good example of one of those scenarios. And, and I think sometimes when people hear you say probiotics, they're like, oh yeah, let me guess. You think doctors are a hoax, yeah. you know, and you think antibiotics yeah. are dumb. Like, no, I... It's like, I also believe, you know, all kinds of surgeries can be useful, but do I just do surgery to like look at my liver and see what's going on and then close it back? Like, no, (laughs) I would never do that. That's unnecessary. Yeah. 
Can I read something from the um, from Wild Fermentation? There you go. I have to take a shot because it's the first time someone said Wild Fermentation. Oh, oh, yeah. Shots up at bottoms up. It's quite a long bit. No, but it's about microbiodiversity, (laughs) and I think it's. He says it. Sandra always says everything really well, so I'd like to read it. It's like three, three and a bit paragraphs. Is that okay? Oh, I thought you said, okay. Is that okay? okay? I'm waiting for you to say yes. (laughs) We're ready. (laughs) Alison, you know that we, everybody, and Aaron affirmed it. We all just want to hear you talk. So just I'll put on on. my best voice for it then. Okay. It's in a section called microbiodiversity and incorporating the wild. By eating a variety of live... And we're in... Oh, I was going to say we're in the book. It's on page 10, right at the beginning. By eating a variety of live fermented foods, you promote microbial diversity in your body. The live bacteria in those ferments, not heated after fermentation, enter our bodies, where some of them survive the stomach and find themselves in our already densely populated intestines. There, they help to digest food and assimilate nutrients, as well as stimulate immune responses. There is no one particular strain that is uniquely beneficial. Rather, the greatest benefit of eating bacteria lies in biodiversity. Few, if any, of the bacteria we eat take up residence in our intestines, but even so, they have elaborate interactions with the bacteria that are there and with our bodily cells in ways that we are just beginning to recognise and that remain little understood. Biodiversity is increasingly recognised as critical to the survival of larger-scale ecosystems. Earth and all its inhabitants comprise a single, seamless matrix of life, interconnected and interdependent. The frightening repercussions of species extinction starkly illustrate the impact of the loss of biodiversity all over our planet. The survival of our species depends upon biodiversity. Biodiversity is just as important at the micro level. Call it micro-biodiversity. Your body is an ecosystem that can function most effectively when populated by diverse microorganisms. Sure, you can buy probiotic supplements containing specific strains, but by eating traditional fermented foods and beverages, especially those you ferment yourself with wild microorganisms present in your environment, you become connected with the life forces of the world around you. Your environment literally becomes you as you invite the microbial populations you share the earth with to enter your diet and your intestinal ecology. I think that's wonderful. He says it so well. I love that. Especially when he says, especially that you made yourself. (laughs) They're the best. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, there's so much good information in these. These books are not cookbooks. They're just like life guides. Yeah, they they require you to go back and reread sections of them again and again and again. Because that's so much wisdom and every every read brings something new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every life stage you're in, you hear mm, it differently. Completely. And, um, do you do you feel like I remember a lot during the like the '90s and stuff like that? I feel like a lot of packaging said, um, you know, grandma's cookies or mm. you know, homemade yeah. flavor marketing space, just like just like moms, you know. And now I'm thinking either it's just because I don't like buy much packaged food but I feel like we don't see that so much anymore mm. um maybe in the 90s we were still close enough to you know everybody then grandma was still cooking yeah. right so people knew what that was and, and there was still sort of this like 
ethos of grandma making cookies or mm. whatever. Now grandma's, you know, kids are all out of the house and she can do her own thing and she can go get a new career <laughs> and um, finally focus on herself again. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like a different, just, you know, she's not teaching I don't know, this sort of like mythical character that media has created. You know, you don't see her mm. cooking with the grandkids or kids or whatever. I don't know. Or you just buy a store cookie dough and <laughs> bake yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know. Where this homemade, you know, when you said especially stuff you make at home, I was just like, wait a minute. We don't, we just don't value it anymore. It's like, it's like it has to be from a store to be legitimate that's why i love the work that people and pe people used to say mm. go on oh, i was gonna say people used to say um when you made something or when when you bought something from the store that tasted really good they'd be like wow that tastes yeah, like homemade yeah. now you make something at home that tastes really good and they're like wow you made that it tastes like it's from a store yeah, it's so good yeah. you know <laughs> i was like what is happening i was gonna say that's why it's so <laughs> important the work that people like hillary boynton are doing to take um, lunches that are actually really mm. made with real food into kids' yes. lunch arenas and schools <clears> and show them that yes. there are mums who are coming in and dads who are coming in and using real ingredients to make them a proper lunch. Because... Yes, if anybody hasn't heard that podcast episode, on, I'll link it in the show notes, but the Wise Traditions podcast on School of Lunch, mm. so good. She's doing such amazing work to, to try to reset what you know the next generation thinks is food mm -hmm. we... yeah i was gonna point people to her especially if they're introducing probiotic and all if their gut's in a really bad yeah. way um hillary boynton's book which i can link that in the show notes too but that book walked me through gaps yeah. in just a very simple way and you can add on dr natasha campbell mcbride's book to that after the fact but it was just too overwhelming for yeah. me to start with that. There's lots of nice pictures in Hillary's book of beautiful food. I like that. Oh, I know. The pictures are so good. So shall we move on to um, our two okay. our two biotics that are still left? So the okay. last two are kind of, maybe we'll, we'll cover them under one heading. Um, and they're things that I didn't know about um, until about six months ago. And the information was kind of nudged into my life by Christopher Shockey, who is the husband of Kirsten Shockey, who some of you might know, who's written a load of books on fermenting, who's absolutely fermenting genius. And he sends out a newsletter. And he started talking about paraprobiotics and postbiotics. And I was like, what? What are they? So he sent me off down a, a bit of a rabbit hole investigating what those two are. And I ended up writing a blog post because... I like writing blog posts and they help me get clear. I have to do the research and I have to get yes. clear in order to write yes. it down. So I wanted to share with everyone listening, perhaps who doesn't know what these two things are, what they are, and um, also link them to pizza at the end, which <laughs> you'll understand after, after I <laughs> explain them. It all comes back to pizza. pizza. <laughs> so if we think about all traditions that um, had fermented foods, really all of them have eaten them both live and cooked. You know, I've seen lots of examples of in Europe, in Eastern Europe, um, sauerkraut being used in stews and in soups and in other kind of dishes like that. And um, 
I think there's more wisdom behind that than we know as science because generally what is promoted is probiotics, these live, you have to eat them live. But paraprobiotics and postbiotics are two kind of examples of, you know, that are slightly onto the side. So first of all, paraprobiotics. So as we said, probiotics don't necessarily stay in the gut. The other thing about probiotics is that they don't live very long. So either through you cooking them, which is, for example, when we put a a live bacteria sourdough starter into a bread and then we bake that bread, or Mm -hmm. by dying when they've been used by the bacteria in our gut. So either Mm -hmm. through cooking or through being used by the bacteria in our gut, these probiotics become dead. And as dead probiotics, whether they were killed in a bread or inside our tummy, they become paraprobiotics. So a paraprobiotic is a dead probiotic. And the structural cell wall of these dead bacteria continue to have diverse beneficial effects in our bodies. So after a probiotic's been eaten, it dies, and what's left of that dead probiotic is used by our body and also if we make a sourdough bread or we make a fermented porridge or we make a sourdough pizza for example there are probiotics in that food that have died whose cell walls are used by the bacteria in our intestines and bring beneficial effects to our bodies and the current research this is like there is not there are there are scientists researching this now and we don't know enough about it yet but the research that's been done so far shows us that these paraprobiotics have anti-inflammatory anti-tumor antioxidant and um, immunomodulatory effects on our body and really the scientists have only just started digging in to what these are and this is just food. And it, yeah it's just food it's this just is bread just food. it's a traditional bread you know? this isn't some fancy medication that you need this isn't some fancy injection that you can like mm. pay for or whatever this is just yeah. food simple exactly. simple and cheap actually yeah making <laughs> a wild starter a sourdough starter and buying your flour in bulk you know, don't feel guilty for eating yeah. sourdough bread because you've cooked your probiotics. Obviously, make sure you get some live probiotics as well. But you are getting benefits from having that sourdough bread um, scientifically. You know, it's been proved, obviously. There's probably a whole load of other stuff that hasn't been shown or proved that you're getting benefits from as well. But we're just starting to understand sure. it. The same is kind of similar of postbiotics. Um, this is an area of research at the moment. And postbiotics are the waste that's left behind after our resident gut bacteria have used the probiotics that we give them. So they take those probiotics in and they're a catalyst, they use them. And then there's waste that those gut bacteria leave behind and those are postbiotics. And although I use the term waste, it's not really waste at all. You know, just like we might compost our kitchen scraps it's waste but it's not waste because look what happens to that compost when we put it in a garden look what it does to our soil so it's the same with postbiotics this waste is being used throughout our body and having anti-inflammatory and having health benefit effects as well unbelievable so but i believe probiotics (laughs) aren't just probiotics you know there's a whole nother area of what they are when they've been used after they've been used and what's left around by the guts by the bacteria that have used them which i just think is astounding and so i say 
yeah. eat sourdough yeah. pizza. <laughs> Go to my website and take the recipe and yep. eat it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Allison has a blog post that you can, I'll link that to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah. That's just amazing. Just amazing. The whole big picture, you know, with, uh, again, we think that we can take this one little piece of something, extract it and turn it into our, you know, our new, our newest idol. But you really just need the whole yeah. big picture. Just <laughs> proper food, picture. proper ancestrally prepared food. If you eat mm-hmm. it and you eat a diverse range of it, then you're going to get what you need. Mm-hmm. It might yeah. take time to build yeah. your health up and maybe you might need a bit of extra help. But with persistence and with loving application, yeah. it's just, it's a, it's a wonder, absolute wonder for health and nutrition. Uh. Yes. And let's make it, let's keep it in the realm of joy yeah. and keep it in the realm of um, exploration and, and not, not a high tension. You know, I, I just, I just see so many people getting or saying that they're getting overwhelmed. Um, and it's because there's so many people just pumping information out there and, mm. and, you know, make simple bread, yeah. make simple sauerkraut eat it in small and pleasurable amounts that that feels good and satisfying and unsubscribe from the people who are making you feel overwhelmed (laughs) amen i'll say it again unsubscribe to me if i'm stressing you out like unsubscribe you don't need to follow my instagram yeah it's simple and joyful that's how it was originally you know people coming together to to ferment sauerkraut or to process foods as part of a community as part of a family and it's just it's something that is life affirming and instead of feeling victimized by omg or you know big corporations have stolen our culture like well let's stop handing it over yeah let's just stop giving it up and let's just make the choice to take it back and oh how do i build a community is there a app like just go meet somebody just walk outside you know have families over for dinner um i don't know just let's just take take this kind of birthright back that we gave up yeah and do our intestines a favor at the same time mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i think that's a good place to stop yeah what yeah. else do you have what do you, you is that it on the pair of pre- yeah that's pre- it no that's it i think oh, that's enough yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's let's see all the conversation with bios means life and pro uh, is to promote it to grow nice. it right so pro life probios you know this is what the the probiotics are promoting life within our body and then antibiotics remember is they're yes they're killing life um because they they are to tar they are ideally to get those pathogens that are harmful to us but remember they wipe out the good ones too so they're just Mm -hmm. kind of your last ditch you know this is a life or death death type scenario um and just keep those healthy, inexpensive, small doses of your probiotic foods and your um, resistant starches. And basically, you're good to go. <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. Well, awesome. Really good episode. Thank oh, you ever so much, right? Andrea. I'm going off. I've just remembered, because we're cooking lard up there, we get to have the lard bits, Ooh. the crunchy bits, which we call niblets, for oh, dinner tonight. So the part. crunchy bits left over from lard making. And, and I'm going to go and eat them now. Mm. <laughs> you could put salt on yeah. it or you can yeah. salt it oh yum okay we'll go enjoy that thank you <laughs> bye <All right>. bye <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Thank you.